It's one of the most gut-wrenching feelings that there is. When you know that the relationship needs to end, you need to call it off, you need to end it, or you need to fire that person. It was gut-wrenching for him as he knew he had to fire his employee. And what was so gut-wrenching about it was he liked the guy. He liked his family. He was a nice man, and he got along with him, but he just couldn't do the job, and he knew it was time to move on. And thinking about ending that relationship, ending that business relationship, was gut-wrenching because he knew the pain it would cause that man. It was gut-wrenching for her. She liked him. They got along great. They had so much fun together, but they were missing that it factor. She couldn't explain it, but there was just something not there, and she knew it was time to break up with him. And there's that knot in her stomach. She knows she has to end it and move on. There was a knot in his stomach as he knew it was time to move on from his best friend. They'd been friends from childhood. They grew up together. They loved hanging out, but now that they were getting older, he was going one way of partying, and now has even gotten into drugs, and he knew it was time to move on. And yet it's hard. It's hard to let go. It's hard to end that relationship because of the history, because of the people. It doesn't matter if it's a business relationship or a personal relationship. Ending a relationship hurts, and it's not easy. And it can have that gut-wrenching feeling, that knot in your stomach. But there comes a point in time when, a, a, when something switches and you know it's time to move on. It has to happen. It has to end. We have to move on. So my question that I want us to consider today is when is it time to fire your God? When is it time to let your God go? That is what Hezekiah, king of Jerusalem, king of Judah, was encouraged to do in 2 Kings chapter 19. Uh, it's around 715 B.C., uh, and Hezekiah is on the throne in Jerusalem. If you remember back to last week, 722 B.C., Assyria, the nation of Assyria, came down, conquered Israel, the northern kingdom, and, and then deported all of the Jewish people living in the kingdom of Israel, got rid of them all, scattered them throughout Assyria. That was 722 B.C. Meanwhile, what was happening down in Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, was Hezekiah was on the throne, and he was a good king. And I'm kind of laughing because we've looked at the last couple of weeks at the, the kings, and we've been bouncing back and forth, and all of them have pretty much been evil. Uh, even the ones that have started good trailed off. But Hezekiah was not that type of king. In fact, in 2 Kings chapter 18, what we hear is that he did right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of his life. We hear that there was no king like him before him or after him. Think about that. 
There was no king before him who was like him. Not even King David, who was said to be the man after the Lord's own heart. That's how the Bible describes him. And yet Hezekiah, according to the Bible, was more right in God's eyes. Did right in the eyes of the Lord more than David. Which makes sense as you look at Scripture. As much as David's heart was for the Lord, he also was an adulterer and a murderer. Uh, but Hezekiah does right in the eyes of the Lord. As he takes the throne, he tears down the Asherah poles, he breaks up all the altars to the false gods. Uh, he even takes the bronze snake, we're told, that Moses made in, in the wilderness. If you're familiar with that account where the people are in the wilderness for 40 years and, and they sin against God, and so what does God do? He sends venomous snakes into the camp, and then he has Moses build a bronze snake, put it up on the uh, pole, and if anyone looked to that bronze snake, they lived. The people took that bronze snake and made it a god, worshiping it. And so King Hezekiah takes that, breaks it to pieces. He does right in the eyes of the Lord. And yet, just because you have a heart for the Lord, just because you do right in the eyes of the Lord, doesn't mean that hardships and problems and situations won't arise, because it did. The king of Assyria had come down and wiped out Israel, and then he went and wiped out all of the Palestinian cities around Israel and Judah. And now he wanted Jerusalem. And so he sends a messenger to Jerusalem, to the king of Hezekiah. Here's what we're told. 2 Kings chapter 19, beginning at verse 9. Now Sennacherib, okay, I'm going to stop already because <laughs> I forgot to tell you. Uh, Assyria, last week we saw that when the Assyrians came down and wiped out Israel, we started with uh, Shalmaneser, and then shortly after him was Sargon II, and then shortly after him was Sennacherib. Quick succession. Sennacherib is now on the throne for Assyria, and he is the one taking over all of this territory, and he comes to Jerusalem. He sends a messenger to Jerusalem. Here's what, he, what happens. Sennacherib received a report that Tirhakah, the king of Cush, was marching out to fight against him. So again, uh, so he again sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely, and you will be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them, the gods of Gozan, Haran, Resef, and the people of Eden who were, uh, who were in Tel Asar? Where is the king of Ham Hamath or the king of Arpad? Where are the kings of Lair, Sepharvaim, Hena, and Iva? The king sends a messenger to Hezekiah saying, Surrender. Give up. Why? We don't want to have to kill you. We don't want to have to torture you. We don't have to want to fight all these battles. Just surrender. And it was probably a, a pretty enticing thing for Hezekiah. Because if you remember back to last week, what did we say about the Assyrian Empire? They were basically a terrorist organization that loved to torture people. In fact, if you notice, uh, 
Sennacherib received, or uh, he again sent a messenger to Hezekiah. In chapter 18, he sent a message saying, basically, we're going to take you over, and then we're going to make you drink your own urine and eat your own excrement. And they would have done it. They would have made the people do it because that's the type of nation the Assyrians were. And so the king of Assyria says, we don't want to make you do that. We don't want to torture you. We don't want to have to kill you. Just surrender. We'll deport you. We'll make you part of our nation. You don't have to die. Oh, and by the way, Hezekiah, don't let your God deceive you and say that the Assyrians won't take you over. Because guess what? That's what the gods of all these other nations said. Where are they now? Hezekiah, it's time to fire your God and surrender because he's not big enough to deal with us. Now imagine you're Hezekiah and you look out over the walls of your city and you see at least 185,000 troops stationed out there ready to break down your walls and they could do it ready, hungry to torture you and to kill you, and they would do it. What would you do? Here's what Hezekiah did. Hezekiah received the the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. What does Hezekiah do? He goes straight to the temple, and he spreads the message out, and he prays. He goes to the Lord with his problems. Where do you go with your problems? When you feel surrounded and anxiety and worry well up in your heart and you feel it start to creep in, where do you go? Do you keep it all bottled up inside, spreading it across your heart and across your, your, your mind? And you just dwell on it and you, you reread your problems again and again and again to the point where you can't sleep at night because you're so anxious and worried. Do you read it again and again to the point where you're so worried that you become sick? Do you let it build up to the point where you're you're lashing out at your family and, and you're irritable with your kids? Do you try to escape? You read the words and and, and your problems, and instead of, of dealing with them, you escape through alcohol. Drugs, something that will knock you out. Do you you go and sleep, and you'll sleep for days just to not have to deal with life because you feel surrounded and you just want an escape? 
do you blame and criticize others? You, you let the problems well up inside to the point where you lash out at other people and blame them for putting you in this situation. If they would have just done their job, if they would have done this, if they would have just, it would be different if they just would have been better. Where do you go when you feel surrounded by your problems? And if it's not the Lord God Almighty, why? If you're not going to the Lord God Almighty like Hezekiah and laying your problems out, why not? Is it because deep down we don't think that God is big enough to handle it? Or that He's not going to do something? If that's your view of God, that He's not big enough or that He's not going to handle it, it's time to fire your God because you're not clinging to the Lord God Almighty. It's time to fire the God that's in your head that isn't big enough and that you don't think can handle it because that's not the God of Hezekiah. That's not the God of the Bible. It's not the Lord God Almighty. So when should you fire your God? Your first point, fire the God in your head who isn't big enough. Let's look at what Hezekiah says here in his prayer. He's got at least 185,000 troops surrounding his city. And he goes to God in prayer. And what does he remind himself of? Just how big God is. Here's what he says. Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. What does Hezekiah remind himself of as he prays? God, you are above all kingdoms. Every kingdom in this world, you are above God. You don't submit to anybody or anything. The kings of the world, the queens of the world, the dictators of the world, the presidents of the world, the governors of the world, God, you are over all of them. They answer to you. Satan's kingdom, the demons around uh, in this world, God is over all. He is over every single kingdom, including your kingdom, your life. Our problems may seem really, really big, and they are, but God is over every single kingdom of this world, including yours. And what, is, what are we told? You have made heaven and earth. I talk about this a lot, because I think it's so amazing. Uh, God made heaven and earth how? By speaking. By simply saying, let there be, and there was. Imagine uh, for a second, if I said, let there be Olaf, and a little tiny uh, snowman appeared. Do you know what I think would happen? I think I'd have a line outside my door for counseling because all of you would want to come to me for your problems, because I can speak and a snowman would just show up. If I can do that, maybe I can help you with your problems. And yet here we have the Lord God Almighty, who's made everything by speaking things into existence. He is our big 
big God who is big enough to take care of any problem that you have. When you are feeling surrounded, God is big enough to handle it. And that's what Hezekiah knew. And that's what he goes to, to the Lord and pray. God, he reminds himself, you are the God above all kingdoms. You alone have made heaven and earth. God, you hear these words. And then look what he says. Verse 19, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. Deliver us in such a way, Lord, that all nations will have to look and say, this was the hand of the Lord God Almighty. Here's what happened. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I've heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons Adramalek and Sherazar killed him with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon, his son, succeeded him as king. God said to Hezekiah, the king of Assyria will not step foot in this city. He will not shoot an arrow. He will not build a siege. I will deliver you, and I will save it. I will save this city. Do you know what I find amazing about that? Other than the fact that God did it. Um, is, is the fact that God delivered that message through Isaiah, his prophet. Sometimes I, I, as I read Old Testament scripture, I think, man, that must have been so easy for him. It must have been so easy for Hezekiah. It must have been so easy for those people. God spoke to them through a prophet. Isaiah stood before him and said, here's what God said. It'd be like me standing here and saying, here's what God says to you. You are worth more. You are more valuable than the ravens. You are more valuable than the birds of the air. God loves you. He promises he's going to take care of you. Look what he says in Luke chapter 12. It's the exact same thing. And Hezekiah stood firm on the word of God. And the next morning they woke up and 185,000 soldiers dropped dead. God delivers Jerusalem. God is our God who is big enough. And as amazing as that is, as wonderful of a miracle as that is, we look and we say, wow, that's awesome, and it is. And yet 700 years later, something even more amazing happened. When the Lord God Almighty, who can't be contained by this universe, who, who is over all, 
is contained into a little baby who was brought to this earth in Jesus. As the Bible says, the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus, God himself, is contained and brought into this world. Put in a manger to deal with the greatest problem that each and every one of us faces. As great of a miracle as that was, delivering of the people, do you know what happened to every single Jewish person living in Jerusalem? They still died. It just was prevented for a little while. They didn't die at the hands of the Assyrians. They died from health. They died from old age. They died because their bodies gave out. You see, what each and every one of us needs, and everyone in this world is a Savior who will deliver us from death, or at the very least, if we die, would bring us back to life. And God says, that's great, but I'm going to do one even better. I'm going to bring you eternal life. I'm going to make it so you can live where there's no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. I'm going to make it so that you will never die again. And how did he do it? By sending that precious baby. The Lord God Almighty brought to us in the form of a baby who grew up and did something that none of us could ever do because the problem was too big and that is pay for each and every one of our sins. To make up for each and every one of our sins. To work off our sin. We can never do it. And yet the Lord God Almighty took our greatest problem and he nailed all of our sins to the cross with him. And through the shedding of his blood on the cross, God declares to you and me, forgiven. It's finished. And then Jesus went a step further. He not only died to pay for our sins, but then he rose from the dead, proving that not even death has control over him. There is nothing in all creation that the Lord God Almighty is not above, even death. And now God promises to you and me, even if you die, you will live. He promises he will raise you to life, sins forgiven, where you will live in holiness and perfection without mourning, crying, or pain, because death will be gone forever. And it's all because of Jesus. It's all because the Lord God Almighty is big enough to handle the greatest problems in our life, even the greatest one, which is death. And it's all that is great. God is big enough. As I close up today, I want to have one more point. And that's because we, we look at Hezekiah and we say, man, look at how great and big God is. God is so big. But then we go to him with our problems and they don't necessarily go away like God did with Hezekiah. And so there's another aspect in our mind that says, well, God must be big enough he just must not be loving enough to care for these problems. And so when should you fire your God if he's not big enough? And you should fire the God in your head who isn't loving enough. God is big enough to deal with any problem that you have. And he's also loving enough to care about even the smallest problems in your life. God says at the end there to, to Hezekiah, I'm going to deliver this city for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. 
What was so special about David? It really wasn't David himself. As I mentioned earlier, David was a man after the Lord's own heart, sure, but he also was a murderer and adulterer. So it wasn't David, it was the promise to David. God promised to King David that he would send somebody from his line who would be a ruler and his kingdom would be established forever. The Savior of the world would come through David. Why would God promise a Savior? Only love. It's only because he loves you. Only because he loves this world. He loves humanity. It's only because he wants to be with us forever. When God made that promise to David, what did he know? That Jesus, his son, would have to go through the torture, through the beatings, and through crucifixion. And yet God made that promise. He made the promise knowing that Jesus would take our place and endure hell. Why? Only because he loves us. Only because he wants to be with us that badly. Only because he cares that deeply for you. So, if the God in your head isn't big enough, fire him and turn to the Lord God Almighty. If the God in your head isn't loving enough, fire him and turn to the Lord God Almighty because he's big enough to deal with any problem you have and he's loving enough to care about every single problem you face. And we see that at the cross and the empty tomb through his son Jesus. And if the Lord God Almighty is for us, then who could be against us? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the Lord God Almighty who is big enough to handle any problem that we have, any worry that we have, any anxiety that we face. You are big enough. There's no one in this world, whether in the physical world or the spiritual world, uh, that is bigger than you. There's no one in this universe that is bigger than you. You are the Lord God who's created everything uh, simply by speaking. You have that much power, and yet you are also a God of love who cares for us so incredibly much. Uh, and we see that as you sent your only son, Jesus, to live for us, to die for us, to rise again, so that one day we can be with you forever. You're with us now, but one day what is by faith will be by sight as we get to see you and live with you in an eternal life where there's no crying, no mourning, no pain, because death will be gone. We thank you for taking care of our biggest problem. Now as we face this world and uh, filled with worries and anxieties, help us to turn to you. Help us to spread out our problems to you. Take them to you. You invite us to come to you. And then let us see you deliver us so that everyone may know that the Lord God Almighty is real, that he exists, and that he's big enough to handle our problems and loving enough to care. Be with us today. Uh, give us peace that only you can give. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.